conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media, and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash Girls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash Girls. Sign up today. turkey I regret not eating was that hinge date two years ago (laughs) my mom's on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and now all I want to do is gobble gobble (laughs) I had an alt that was like I'm like cranberry sauce but I don't know. Who really gives a shit about cranberry sauce? I want to think more of myself and calling my... I'm, I'm at least stuffing. I'm stuffing best. Oh, stuffing is where it's at. Like, stuffing, stuffing is my sweet spot. <laughs> I don't want to be the main. I want to be the most beloved. You know? Amen. I mean, that's... Hello, that's a tagline in and of itself. And you guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode, I think I am actually right this week, 187, which feels crazy, Bill. And this is going to be a very special Friendsgiving episode of AG because I just said it out loud. So now it's a theme. So you can think whenever we're just like shifting our bodies as um, as we nod to this. And guys, I'm so excited to have this very special, highly produced, has been in the books for years episode of the Friendsgiving AG with none other than my favorite person in this world. You know him as the president and founder of the Real Housewives Institute. Before I knew how to speak, I learned to read from reading his pieces in New York Magazine, among others, just quoted in New York Times the other day. No big deal for this very big deal. It is His Royal Highness, Brian Moylan. Brian Moylan! Sarah Galley, how are you? I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so happy to be with you. I can't, I feel like we just spoke on an episode of AG yesterday, but maybe we didn't, but I feel like we did. I feel like we did, but but I mean, time is a flat circle these days. I mean, I have no idea (laughs) what, you know, comings or goings or what's happening, what housewives are filming, what housewives are on. I mean, I don't even know anymore. 
there's so much happening and I feel like so many of us were very freaked out at the beginning of quarantine, you know, about like dying or whatever, but right. really more importantly, which shows are going to be on TV in the next several months <laughs> if they're not allowed to currently film. And now there's just like an embarrassment of opportunity, of options. We have Atlanta coming. Allegedly Dallas is soon, which nobody gives a single fuck about. Nope. We have Potomac on TV, Salt Lake City, Orange County for those with um, a palette for uh, Kelly that. and Dodd. Like so <laughs> many choices. Just it's it's crazy it's and atlanta did i say atlanta atlanta soon I'm enough very curious about how they filmed atlanta and like how that's mm. all gonna look i don't know i mean i think they probably learned lessons from orange county which had been filming already right was it or i don't i don't remember the order of things where it was like orange county was filming heavily during um like the worst possible moments. And then yeah. I think maybe Atlanta a little bit after and then Jersey, I think totally shut down and then sort of started after that. I mean, it's, they started yeah. with orange County, like the, be the beginning of the year, at, but we're just getting to lockdown like now, which is maybe like six or seven episodes in. They started filming Southern Charm in like February or March and they're already at lockdown and it seems like they stopped filming for all of the heavy first lockdown and then are going to just kind of um, a few weeks later mm. just pick it back up. So I'm curious what's going to happen with Orange County if they're just going to be like, oh, okay, two months have passed and here's what happened. I mean, with Orange County, they did also try, it was like their experimental phase where they were trying, I think, to have people film each other. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen a single episode of Orange County. I did see a clip inadvertently this week because it was posted on, um, I think, actually a couple Bravo accounts, was, which was this like little tequila Katie moment of OC. But I haven't watched nor read about honestly because I have wanted to stay outside of it not because I'm boycotting it in any way but just because I'm like I have I, first off I do not miss it a single bit which is shocking to me but I also felt like it's so gross right now because of the Kelly stuff that I just didn't want to have that energy near me um well and it's also kind of weird and yeah. gross due to the coronavirus stuff like on the last episode yeah. Elizabeth, who's the new one, kind of says, you know, they're talking about it in real time. And she says, it, you know, in the scene, like, oh, this will be gone in a few months. This will be gone in a few months. And I mean, I feel like we all felt that way at the beginning where it's like, oh, this is just they'll take care of it. We'll isolate for a bit and it'll be over. You know, I certainly felt that way. But then in her confessional, which was obviously filmed more recently, weeks, if not months later, who knows? She's like this is a hoax by big pharma so that we have to buy a vaccine and it's all overblown. And I'm like, okay, lady, now you fucking lost me because never once was I like, this is a hoax. She sounds like Aaron, Denise Richards' husband with like big pharma's after me in a van. Yeah, there's some 5G vibes from that. Definitely. I mean, she is an interesting one. And again, I haven't seen her on the show, but 
I was directed to her social yesterday or the day before where she had five or six Instagram stories up about how this is all a hoax and you should do whatever you want on Thanksgiving and every day of your life because she's a proud American, something, something like Eagle that's not wearing a mask. Like, it's just these people are not it's hard to choose a franchise that's like the most problematic as concerning public health, I think. Yeah. Orange County probably is the number one. There are other housewives who aren't behaving like the best, but I feel like Jersey or- might be a close yeah, number two. And probably Dallas. I uh, yeah, I think Dallas is pretty high up there. I would say Orange County followed by Dallas. And then like I mean, what do we expect from Jersey? I don't wanna like not <laughs> it's just like no. kind of it's not funny, but it's just like, well, like somebody is, is like very Jersey. These, said these something to me on Twitter very... about like, oh, how do you think all the housewives voted? And I was like, oh, this city went blue and this city went red and blah, blah, blah. And New Jersey didn't vote. Like not one of those <laughs> women voted. Teresa made a lasagna and that was really her participation you know in what? the democracy of our country. I would bet real money that Teresa Giudice is not registered to vote. Well, Teresa doesn't think she can vote because she's a felon. Oh, that might be true. In New Jersey, it's like there's a different process, so she could technically vote. But I remember there was a moment, I want to say this was like on camera or something, or during an interview where her lawyer was being interviewed and he didn't know. So it was like, there's sort of, but it's like very brand appropriate, I have to say. And it's Teresa. I mean, if you had told me, in the year of Strippergate or the years, honestly, that followed that I would ever feel something approximating happiness or comfort regarding all things tree, I would have laughed in your face and then screamed at you for like a solid 44 minutes plus commercials. And now I like look at her in the last couple seasons. I'm like, I'm not a tree hugger, but a seed was apparently planted somewhere along the way because I don't dislike her and I kind of appreciate her. I don't know. It's embarrassing, Brian. I'm not not proud of it. I don't feel good about it. I kind of think she's I mean, I appreciate her contributions to the reality television arts and sciences. Don't get me wrong. I know she's trash. I know. I cannot, like, all the other housewives, like, one of the things (laughs) that fascinates me about housewives fandom is that for every housewife, there are people that love them and people that hate them. You know what I mean? There's, like, no consensus Mm -hmm. on any person. But the only one Mm -hmm. who I don't understand how you could like her is Teresa. I felt I Brian I felt that way for years I don't know what this is it's like a pandemic of my personality apparently and it's gone viral like I don't know what this mean I don't it happened all of a sudden it's like falling in love with that person that you're like that person like I it, I can't. <laughs> like when Shane and Emily fell in love uh across the IMs at their law firm <laughs> yes it's like when they went on AIM and Shane was like can you get me a cup of coffee and Emily said I do and then they got married it's <laughs> right. really fascinating um so actually speaking of orange county so i'm not watching orange county you are watching orange county and covering it yes beautifully um for new york magazine for vulture so what have your experiences been like watching it are you able to watch it as 
a quote unquote normal housewife show in this deeply abnormal world or has I mean, it changed at all? It's weird because they're dealing with stuff now that seems so long ago. Like they're dealing mm-hmm. with the very beginning of the pandemic. Like they're still dealing with, you can't get toilet paper at Costco. And mm-hmm. like, that seems so long ago and Years so ago. trivial almost after everything we've been through and also not something I really want to relive. Like, especially like you said, those beginning days of lockdown where we were like, am I going to get this and die? Is this going to go on forever? What's going on? Just the deep anxiety of it all. And, you know, watching that and I'm also covering Southern Charm where Southern Charm, they seem to be taking it a bit seriously and they're a little hapless, but in a happy way, as opposed to the women on the OC where I just am like, you're idiots and you're not dealing with this well and I don't know that I want to watch it. And yeah, so it's weird. And knowing they're going through the usual drama of like, oh, she Shannon's mad at me because I said this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, girl, I've seen into your future and none of this is all going to be moot in a matter of days because you're not going to care about any of this stuff. So it's kind of weird seeing them go through this drama, which, you know, is always trivial, but whatever. It's the trivia that we love. Um, but when mm. you compare it next to these really sort of life altering circumstances, the triviality of it just becomes that much more apparent in a not great way. I wonder how the reunion is going to go. I don't know if it will be in person, but I would think it would be probably pretty awkward for everyone involved. I would think especially executives who are watching these women who seemingly still feel the ways now that they felt in March that this isn't real, that it's a question of their right right to being a citizen and blah, 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 and... Um, that it's no big deal and whatever else. And knowing what we know now, it's not like any of these women have, have grown in their thoughts and feels. So watching yeah. a room filled with that, plus Andy, plus, I guess, Bronwyn. And again, I haven't seen anything, but just from what I've heard, I don't know how you spin that into something that feels entertaining to folks at home when it's like all of these women who the majority of whom seem to agree with Kelly, maybe not in the ways that she expresses herself, but in the thoughts behind that. Yeah. That's going to be tough. Well, because even remember how tough it was when Ramona was like, I never had the virus. I never had the virus. I never had the virus. And I was like, oh, God. Um yeah, and it's gonna. It's also gonna be curious. I, you know, fingers crossed that you know if this vaccine happens, and you know mm-hmm. we're in the next six months or so approaching the tail end of it. But then we're watching housewives who are still going through that. Like, if we're gonna wanna s- still live in that kind of space, I don't know. I think it's you know a weird, unprecedented time for all this stuff, and. But I think that the Orange County women of all are poorly situated to <laughs> deal with it. And I, I mean, Shannon yeah. Bedore oh, no. once got an enema stuck in her ass. And <laughs> now she's going to be telling us her, like, public health views? Like, come on, sister. Like, no, I don't want to hear this. 
Shannon Bador, love of my life. I mean, I don't want to say that she will never be replaced. Shannon Bador will always be my best friend from afar. I love her, but sometimes you have to like love somebody from like, you know, more than six feet back. Like sometimes there's a <laughs> spiritual social distancing that has to take place. And I don't want to take anything away from my love for her because I, but sometimes you see someone and you're just like, oh my God, this is my person. This is my lobster. This is my like whatever. And I look at Heather Gay and I just say, you're my girl. Like I just feel it's early days. Salt Lake City is like three episodes in. But I don't want to say that there's a replacement taking place, but like maybe there's a renewal or a new beginning. Got and it. it's maybe but doorless and a little gayer you know what i'm saying like i just i just i i can't i don't know if this is a friendsgiving i just i don't want to you know i don't want to take anything away from my best friendship of many years with shannon Bador, who i love but i just want to say in this time we have to be open to new friendships and new experiences well and i also feel like you know women. we all have had very close friends who have moved away and it doesn't yeah. mean that you're not still close friends and when you mm -hmm. check in with them it's like no time has passed but you're just not spending as much time with them until you spend some more time with new people and right. i think that's healthy and you know real um and you're you know talking from london and i'm talking from new york and uh, listen you could be next door right now who's exactly. to, who's to say? I probably still see you just as much as I did when I lived in New York. <laughs> I, think that's, I think we talk more now than we <laughs> Probably. Um, so listen, tell me your thought. I need to know your thoughts on Salt Lake City, just first and foremost. I, like, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Well, first of all, we need to talk about the ugliest thing I have possibly ever seen on television and have certainly ever seen on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And that is... Mary? Dress? The what is it? glass mountain in Meredith's living room. <laughs> Wait, I'm not even, I can't even think about it right now. Oh my God. Is so, it really bad? So in Mary's living room, you know, there's like stairs going downstairs and there's yeah. like glass on them. But one yeah. of the panes of glass is made to look like a mountain. Oh, I love that for her. It is so ugly it's so ugly and it's like you can tell it wasn't meant to be someone's house house it was meant to be someone's like ski house Chalet. yeah yeah and so they have this mountain in it and it is the ugliest thing i've ever seen and i hate it so much i need to understand how houses work in salt lake city because i can't get enough of us saying chalet shaw chalet gay chalet 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 Mary's multi-million dollar chalet. It just feels like money when I say it. it. brings me so much happy, so much warmth in this cold and strange, cold and flu and COVID season. Like, I just want us to say chalet as much as possible. With the little, like, addendum to that, I, I need to understand how real estate works in Salt Lake City. Because some of this stuff does feel like a chalet that I have been to like at Hunter Mountain or something near right. New York where it's somebody's like ski. They said, I think they said chalet, like ski where you ski right out onto the whatever. Yes. And that's all fine and good. And I loved not doing any of that, making scrambled eggs in the kitchen. And it was wonderful. But I don't, 
are, are these what, what all homes look like in Salt Lake City? Because it is like Ski America. How well, does that work? Also, so there's like, I've never been to Salt Lake City, but I have been to Park City, which is oh, where yeah. the Sundance Film Festival is. And yeah, it's town. like centered around several ski mountains. Mm-hmm. And that's where all they have all these like, you know, big chalets that rich people have that are their ski houses, mm-hmm. as well as like smaller condos and things that other people have. And I think that that's like where Meredith and that's where Jen Shaw's ski chalets. And so it's like half an hour ish outside of Salt Lake City. But because it's kind of this like ski town, you know, there's mm-hmm. a fair bit of restaurants and nightlife and, and things like that. So I don't know how much of them are in actual Salt Lake City and how much of them are kind of, you know, more closer to the ski resorts, which are I mean, it, not you know, like not in Salt right. Lake, but like, you know, in the what is essentially the suburbs of Salt Lake. And that's always the little dance with housewives is like who lives in Orange County itself, who lives in Potomac itself, yes. who's renting, who purchased. Like right. there's a I mean, lot of a little bit of imagination that we have yeah. to have about some none of, of those Atlanta women live anywhere near Atlanta. They all live out in the burbs somewhere in giant McMansions. And like, that's fine with me. I don't give a shit. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm not the one driving. Yeah, exactly. Cool. To Chalet Charest. <laughs> Oh, I miss the chateau. Um, yeah, it's it. That is an interesting point. I mean, when it comes to some of the what is happening here, I mean, how much time does Meredith really like? Yeah, I guess she says she. I, does she ever go visit Seth? Her sort of estranged, but not at all, but maybe a little bit husband in Chicago, or is she really staying there full time? Like, what's happening here? Yeah, and can't she just leave that store? Is she just like there full time? To be on the show? I get, maybe that's what it is. Maybe she like sort of transitioned from going back and forth to really being there 24-7 so that she can say she's there. And maybe that also brings with it the benefit of giving some sort of additional storyline to whatever is happening in her relationship with her husband. That's kind of what it seemed like to me is that before she was more back and forth and that she decided to spend more time at their you know, winter home because yeah. I'm sure she's not spending summers in park city where nothing's going on. Right. Also. Yeah. The jewelry is interesting is what Meredith's like jewelry. I haven't noticed. Yeah, I think it. it's good for her is, and it's very successful. And I think that's great. I mean, like, I just think that's great is all that I'm going to say is that I think that's great. And I actually, Love Meredith. I love seeing a Hebrew goddess on um, a Housewives franchise. Shalom to my people. Shalom to the low, stunning tones of Meredith. The dry, just it's everything about it is Jewish. And I love it. I appreciate it so much. It makes me feel so close to my culture, which is different from my religion. I just really... Shout out. Didn't expect it in the Salt Lake City franchise to have a Jewish housewife, a Muslim house. It just it's phenomenal. How did it feel seeing a member of the tribe at a Pentecostal church? It her expression is similar to what I think I would look like if being filmed at a Pentecostal church. And I say that as someone who 
did Sunday school every year through my senior year of high school. I was a like teacher's aide oh, mispronouncing okay. Hebrew words. I was pronouncing oh, okay. them as I thought they would be phrased in French. And the teacher was like, what the fuck are you doing to these children? Um, but there was one year of like Sunday school where it was exploring religion, where we went to like an Orthodox synagogue to see um, that. And How they roll. <laughs> they roll, which is very different from my reform temple, let me tell you that. Um, but just like seeing different I don't remember the different religions. There was something Catholic thrown in there for fun. There was some different stuff. I haven't been to a Pentecostal church. I have only heard that it's like very vocal and as free. we witnessed. As we witnessed, sometimes there's like snake stuff happening, I believe. Um definitely speaking in tongues. Uh, yes, which is something Mary does on and off the pulpit, and God bless her for it. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, watching that experience, obviously watching Meredith, who's like, I think definitely enamored by it and seemed really like, oh, my God, this is like really interesting. It's a very different experience, I would say, definitely from like me going to temple or whatever. I just wonder watching these scenes, you know, obviously the like headline news with Mary is like she married her step grandfather and that whole process. There's been so much that has come out about Mary's like <laughs> business tactics. <laughs> and I just have to wonder watching this, you know, how much did the network know going in about the sort of maybe dark underbelly of the cost of being a congregant in that church did they know anything if they did did they think that would be like interesting yada yada and and right. do you think and that they're spinning do they their think wheels? it's a cult and should we feel guilty that there's a cult leader in our housewives because it seems like there's maybe a cult leader in our housewives and i have to say that like she's <laughs> she's a housewife who's going to make her mark and I don't think she's going to be here for long and I think on her way out some people are going to have some questions for her and I just don't know how this is going to go I don't know that Mary it's like one of those things where if you're a housewife with a big secret maybe she doesn't even see it I, I think she sees it but if you're a housewife with a big secret why do you join housewives and I think that there's so much ego involved that you yeah. think either it won't be found out or you don't care because what you want to do is be on this show, become famous, become a celebrity, monetize that, you know, the power of it in society, whatever else in 2020 is what it is, is like, was Mary thinking this is something I should hide or is Mary thinking this is okay regardless because I am a god amongst men? I feel like maybe she internalized it so deeply that she feels like, like, I'm not doing anything wrong here in the way that, like, Donald Trump doesn't feel like he's doing anything wrong. He mm -hmm. ju It's just, like, kind of who he is. You know, uh, that's kind of what I think. And that she was never like, oh, they're going to find out about my cult and that I'm stealing money from all these people. Like she probably feels in some way she has earned that money or deserves that money or whatever. And yeah, but I think she's going to be surprised at how the rest of the public feels when this becomes very obvious to everybody else. 
and what we're talking about is, you know, there's the idea of like tithing at churches and different, which is, you know, giving whatever percentage or what or whatever, con- contributing in some way from your salary to support your, your church, synagogue, organization, whatever. But what Mary is allegedly doing is forcing or her church, Mary, Robert, whomever it is, forcing congregants to like refinance their homes and they're pocketing the money of these like refinance mortgages, which are seemingly supporting this insane lavish lifestyle. So when she's saying that she's taking her son to like Dubai and stuff, and I want to put him in uh, private school and that the couple years where she was in New York living in a penthouse and the uh, off the runway Valentino that is fascinatingly accessory merchandise in the way that it is. (laughs) All of that's coming from these people who are not themselves congregants of means who are now kind of financially ruined because they are being told that God is being seen through the eyes of this woman and her husband. And in order to show your love of God, you know, like that comes at a cost. Right. And I also think it's crazy that it's like, you know, she's obviously selling the housewives lifestyle of the trips and the money and the clothes and all that. But and the fraud. Yeah. And, and for so many of the people we see like, okay, I understand how you're financing this. But for her, it's like your job is a pastor of this obviously not very large looking church. Like, where is this money coming from? Like, you know, like, I, I don't know how she doesn't see how people would be like, how do you have millions of dollars? You know, and I guess she owns like restaurants and other things, you know, that she inherited from the grandmother. But yeah, it all just seems really suspect. And, you know, her nemesis on the show is Jen Shaw, a woman who herself is behaving in a way that doesn't feel in any way like there's like inappropriate Michigas going on. But it is performative to say you have a staff of people and it's like, oh. Jen... What is this? What you're doing? You're doing a, a a day before dress rehearsal of full glam hair and makeup for people who you're telling us you're paying because you're doing this on camera. I don't think it would be done ordinarily, although it is kind of interesting to unpack the loneliness that she expresses so much and how she uses that as a weapon against friends yes. when she feels like they're not on her side. But it, Jen is somebody who seems to like keep up with what is being discussed online and I'm curious when it comes to the reunion if she's still feeling about Mary then the way she is on the show and now my guess is she's gonna bring that up and it's gonna come down to like how highly staffed Mary is to try to get that stuff taken off camera like my guess is that Jen is gonna be the one who gives zero fucks and has will have no issue bringing this up and doing it in a way to bury Mary and Mary doesn't seem like the kind of person who can like necessarily defend herself against that kind of uh anger and that's especially one that's informed I have problems with Jen Shaw and it's mostly just what you said she is such a tryhard like she is trying so hard and she has that whole staff of Mm. like hair and makeup people but then still she shows up in her confessional looks looking like crap it's like what are you paying these people for like your makeup looks like doo-doo lady 
I mean, oh my God. And I love how, I don't know if you noticed this, she has one staff member who wouldn't sign the release form. Oh, of course I did. And so they keep like blurring his face. It's like, what, where are you wanted? (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, I want this story, girl. Um, Yeah. Like, and you know, it's one thing if you're showing up in crazy couture and you're Erica Jane or you're Mm -hmm. Dariq Hemsley and you have like, quote unquote, real places to go. It's another Mm -hmm. thing when you're showing up in that dress with the train to that stupid prohibition (laughs) place. And so it's like, girl, who are you trying to impress? Like, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to show? And I I also think it's interesting that um, both Potomac and Dallas weren't originally, you know, they were like, housewives shows but they were filming them with another premise in mind in case mm-hmm. they didn't end up being housewife shows so they didn't find out that they were going to be real housewives until after they filmed whereas with salt right. lake they announced it before they filmed and i think that now all the women are behaving like housewives in a way that you didn't see the women the first season of dallas and potomac like pretending to be housewives if that makes sense it does make sense i mean the one thing with Salt Lake City is allegedly it was initially <clears throat> originally conceived as a show about business women in Salt Lake City centered right. around Lisa Barlow, which is a surprise. So I don't know how far into this they knew that it was going to be a housewife show. And I might push back a little bit and say I don't think it was until fairly late in the game. And the reason that the Jen stuff is obviously performative and, and because she is a star, but I think she's doing the assistant stuff because if it's seen as a show about business and we don't know right. what kind of business, cause we've never heard at all any no. of her business. She or has whatever, some kind of marketing she, business. I, the internet okay. tells me. I wonder if that's why she's doing the heavily staff stuff to divert attention away from the, like what's your day to day as a businesswoman or regardless of that just to look like she is a high roller right which if you're doing a show and you want it to be on bravo or another network she's gonna want to look a certain way it just so happens to fit perfectly within the vibe of like this is a woman who regardless of how they conceive the show has watched all of these shows and feels like she knows what needs to get done the problem with it is what she's actually doing is putting on a little bit of a dance for us which again works short term but doesn't give you the gravitas that she's actually thinking she's about to receive yes i completely agree with you and that's the thing is like we're so savvy now as viewers we've seen so many of these shows that we know that you're putting it on and i think that that's what i enjoy about both meredith and whitney and heather is that they don't seem like they're putting anything on like that's just kind of who they are um i mean i don't think lisa's putting anything on either but i in a negative way and that i'm like uh, oh i don't (laughs) like you (laughs) you're not trying and i hate you great good job Did you know that about the um, thumbs up emoji that it's a go fuck yourself? No, I had no clue. I had no idea. I I, had no idea. I I can see how in that context, I might've been like, oh, okay. But if someone was like, oh, I sent a thumbs up emoji, I wouldn't be like, oh girl, don't do that. You know, like, yeah, I I didn't know that. It's 
So I did get in a fight with someone who was like my best. We at I ended some friendships, relationships at the start of COVID because I was like, if I'm about to die, I want it to be as the only toxicity I really want is whatever's like inside my lungs right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I ended a friendship with somebody and one of her like, go fuck yourself lines to me repeatedly was stop sending me pink hearts. It's like so passive aggressive. And I said, I'm sorry. It's not. I'm a pink heart emoji person. And you're not going to take that away from me. Like, it's not a negative thing. I have two. I have a specific emoji that I love to send. It's like the double pink heart. And I'm like, that is not I'm not telling you to go fuck yourself. I'm actually trying to put out some positive vibes that I feel like are probably needed in the context of this friendship at this moment in time. It is wild how people can use emoji in the way that they can to either genuinely put out a passive aggressive moment or say you're being a piece of shit for sending me this thing. <laughs> and this thing happens to be a symbol of your hand. That's not like a middle finger heads up. Right. You know, I don't pedal in passive aggression at all. Like I <laughs> no, it like if I have a problem, I'm just going to tell you. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine like using an emoji passive aggressively or nor would I think that somebody was using an emoji passive aggressively towards me. But I will say I use the mustache man um, emoji oh. to kind of mean like anything if I like don't know what to say or if it's just like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to send an emoji because I'm done with this conversation. So, I mean, I send a mustache man and it just means like my face. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But so, so yes, you know, yeah. I, I do think that we all have ways of using emojis that might not make sense to people. And that yeah. might be one of them. Yeah, but both my husband and I were watching that, and we were like, oh, we had no idea. But we're, you know, middle-aged homosexuals, so, I mean, what do we know? <laughs> but... <laughs> My favorite part of that whole episode, possibly, was that moment when Heather is obviously pissed off. She's, like, feeling hot in the confessional while it's being filmed. And the producer's like, can I ask you a question? She's like, what? So that time when you sent her an emoji, she's like, uh-huh. And he's like, was that to, you know, tell her to go fuck herself? And she said, you know, absolutely it was. Like, 100%. I was telling her to go fuck. And then Whitney is like, was that maybe passive-aggressive? Yeah, it probably was. She was probably telling her to go fuck herself. I mean, the moment of Heather just being like, yeah, it fucking was. She was totally fucking right about that. And I would send her 10 more. Like, give me an extra hand. Yes. I mean, a con a genius. Television excellence. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they're giving a lot, the Salt Lake City ladies. And I can't tell how much of it is novelty and how much of it mm. is them really giving a lot. Okay. Um, just because okay. it's been so long since we've had new ones. And right now right. in the situation that we're in, we really need some like new stuff. So, yeah. But I'm in feel it. a different. Yeah. Are you into it? Are you like no. loving the ride or you're riding the ride? You're enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the ride. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, Potomac seems to be losing steam. <gasps> Does it? I feel like a, not like just the season, like once the fight happened and then now that no one's inviting Monique, you don't have that like tension and you have, and so there's this stuff with Candace and uh, Ashley, but that's about the fight too. And so it's like, everything's about the fight, but because she's not there, it's not about the fight. It's, it's a little like weird to me. 
So what do you think about this whole Ashley thing? Ashley writing a statement, which was not, as uh, Dr. Wendy said, some sort of character, yada, yada, or not in the ways in which you could initially think it would be. It's not uh, Monique is a great person and blah, blah, blah. It's a Candace has behaved in ways before that are triggering to people and, and incredibly provocative. I am very much on Ashley's side in this argument in that I feel like obviously Monique was very wrong in touching her. And I think the most damning thing against Monique wasn't when she like grabbed her. It was after like when they tried to calm mm-hmm. her down and she like ran after to try, yeah, right. try to like continue it. Like mm-hmm. that is inexcusable. However, to Kansas, to Ashley's point. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say she was asking for it, but obviously Candace has behaved in ways that are very confrontational to people. And, and the, while she drew the line at, you know, hitting somebody, she was always very provocative in riling people up. And, and I think that this time it, it, you know, it went too far and, and, you know, but I do think Monique was picking up something. Candace was lying down. The thing with Candace is she seems very invested in accountability at its most in its most punitive state. So she only believes that justice will be served if and when a judge potentially gives yes. Monique the most dire like possible sentence involved. Anything less than that. Candace feels like is an attack on her own need for an apology or healing or whatever else. Yes. But when you set up the circumstances in that way, where you're a yourself not taking responsibility while being genuinely understandably so upset at your former friend, not apologizing for attacking you. But when you yourself are not taking responsibility for the role that you've had in this, plus you've added on the idea that the absolute like federal max is the answer because of how Monique has behaved. And you do not think that the fact that she is a mother and that this is a lot and is jail time really appropriate for the situation that happened. And you're setting up an environment where jail time is not only acceptable, but the only real way for her to get justice served there's going to be a pushback to that. And the yes. pushback could be, you're not taking responsibility. So I'm going to raise some other circumstances where you have not behaved in a great manner. And also you seem to be almost gleeful at the idea that she could be put in jail for this. And that doesn't feel appropriate for the situation that happened. And it doesn't feel appropriate based on your own participation in this. Like, She's yeah. setting up the circumstance, and then when the bubble is burst by someone in her cast saying, even though I wasn't there, which is it continues to be an issue, I have seen the ways in which Candace has been provocative and provoked a lot of people, albeit folks who didn't respond in the way that Monique did. Yes. There's a pattern here, so that is a piece of this. To, for her to respond in the way that she did, I thought was like, not narcissistic, but just... I was just thinking it is a bit narcissistic in that she can only see this through the lens of herself. And and I think it came, it came up too in that conversation she had with Ashley about starting a family. 
and Ashley being like, okay, now that you're ready to start a family, do you see how what you had to say about my starting a family affected me? And, and she can't see that in just the same way where she's like, this awful thing happened to me and I'm a victim and it's the worst thing to ever happen to me. And I'm not saying it wasn't bad. You know, it obviously was bad, but she can, you're right. She can only see it in this, like, I'm the victim. This thing happened to me. I had no part in this. Like Monique just walked up to her and smacked her when that is obviously not what happened. And she's surrounded by people who are amplifying her, self-victimization like yes. Giselle is doing her very best to say seemingly in these moments that are very heightened how do you believe anything other than what Candace is saying which right. isn't helpful Karen is the only one I think who isn't invested in like burning one or the other I mean obviously and Ashley and Candace have a history there and I don't begrudge Ashley for saying, you know, like there's responsibility for this other stuff that wasn't really taken. Like yes. you sending all of those vile and abusive tweets were actually oh really incredibly abusive and disrespectful. Like the best part of the whole episode was when Ashley was like, oh, but she sent all these awful tweets. And Robin goes, well, that's a character flaw. And it's like, yes, it is a character <laughs> flaw. And like, yeah, like you, right. Like, you need to own that and, and take accountability for that. But I do understand Giselle and Wendy's point in that it's, like, zero tolerance for violence. Like, sure. if you put your hands on somebody, like, you're done. Like and, and, and I do think that, you know, Housewives isn't Bad Girls Club. And I think that that's part of the reason why we love it. And they fight and there's drama and whatever, but it's not like they're brawling. And, and right. I, I do think that there needs to be, you know, the producers as well as the other cast members being like, this is not okay. But I do think that you're right. They are punishing Monique at the expense of nuance. Yeah. And Candace is maybe one of the least nuanced housewives that I have seen in recent memory. I yes. mean, she really only believes her own bullshit in a way that puts her as someone who's constantly being abused and mistreated. And when she acts in a way that is <clears throat> reckless or, or however you want to say, just shitty, it's only because of these other people who treated her in a certain way. And it's like the chicken and the egg, like right. which came first Were people treating you like shit or were you tweeting saying Ashley is like a wildebeest or whatever it was that you were saying, Right. Well, she was P.S. in the middle of giving birth, which you right. didn't know, but you knew she was heavily pregnant and you're still saying these terrible things and call and like marriage wife role shaming her in very strange and awkward ways that is of no benefit to anybody in any kind of way. No, you know? absolutely. And as far as I know, I believe that there is a clause in the Real Housewives contract now called the Kelly Clause, which is... <laughs> I believe the Housewives call it the Kelly Clause. Oh, tell me more. And it's because Kelly was being so vile to people on social media that you can be fined for talking shit about your castmates on social media. 
But if you follow Kelly's social media, you can tell that Kelly has decided to pay the fines. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly is the only housewife who's going to go a season in and have to end up owing money. To yeah, right. It's like, oh, I pay to be on this show. <laughs> oh, the Kelly Dodd payment plan. Yeah. For one season cost you five years. Yeah. Right. So I wonder if that has been universally implemented or if that's like only on Orange County. But it would seem that Candy Ace, as I like to call her, has um, run afoul of the Kelly Clause in the way that she has talked about some of the women on the show. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I mean, there are also clauses of like, you know, you're paid in certain segments. So if you don't, you know, show up to the reunion, let's say you don't get that final payment and whatever else, which shout out to Adrian Maloof. Um, I think that there are housewives who've set precedent. I don't know if the Kelly stuff, when that came into place, I completely believe that it's true. Yeah. But the ways that these women were behaving on social media just this season, I mean, they're, they were for a period of time, none of them allowed to do Instagram lives, specifically, I think, because of Monique's and Candace's. And I'm guessing that Candace, from what I've heard about the reunion, it's like tough against Giselle, which, okay. Yeah, seems odd. But I Well, because yeah. of what she says in the confessionals, I think. Oh, in what way? I think that she always... Um, the, says what she really thinks in the confessional and and I think that some of the things she says may come off as harsh to some of the ladies. Okay. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with like was Giselle the one who potentially created these rumors that has led to the kind of like crisis of confidence that someone these some of these women have in their friendships with each other because was Giselle the one to say like how are we going to bury Monique, which if yeah. she is trying to deny that, possibly, you know, these scenes don't reflect poor, don't reflect well against that defense because it's her just yeah, really throwing the hammer down in ways that support the idea that she wanted Monique off the show and Monique being, you know, interactive, shall we say, in that little wine hut was just an opportunity for Giselle to kind of, you know get her off as quickly as possible regardless of you know Monique's indefensible behavior I have not read or heard this um but it seems very accurate okay bible but um do we know why Giselle wanted Monique off the show are you gonna tell me why no, no. Do I, I'm just oh, wondering do I know if we why? knew. I think it was, I think Giselle, you know, thought she was, you know, the center champagne flute and, or tied with Karen. And then this woman comes on with a fucking ton of money and a seemingly happy marriage and the cute little kids. And Giselle is going to have like a little smart ass comment to her as she does. It's one of her many talents. Right. And saying like, do you own a home? And from the second that Monique said, I own four. I mean, you were setting up a dynamic in which Giselle probably knew that she thought of herself as like the center, whatever. And there was this dynamic woman coming on the show who had all of the money of which Giselle had none. And, there was like a, I don't know if you want to call it jealousy or competitiveness and their personalities just didn't vibe well. And I think from that moment, Monique probably didn't love Giselle, but I think Giselle came in much more strongly with a distaste for her. Yeah. And 
that kind of continued and never went away. And then it led to where we are now, which is all saying, you know, how can we fuck with her allegedly? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and she's basically saying that on camera and making sure that she's not invited to things, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah. And it also sets up this vibe for the next episode with Karen surprising the women by bringing Monique in, which I wonder what those conversations were with producers. Were they saying, like, we wouldn't be against it if a certain person surprised us at your wig premiere? I mean, like, I don't think people were not in on the the people that needed to know, I'm sure, knew you know, in that moment, obviously the women themselves did not. Yes. And, and from what, um, I understand the way production works. I don't think they would ever say like, you need to invite Monique, but they would kind of be like, is Monique on the guest list? Oh, well, you know, if she was then blah, blah, blah. So they're, you know, they would never be like, you know, I think fans a lot of times think that the producers say you have to do this, you have to do this, but it's more like suggestive. Or they would just kind of be like, you know, oh, Karen wants to do this. Okay, we're going to support Karen because Karen wants to do this. So I, I would think that they they had some role to play, obviously. Like they have mm-hmm. a, a role to play in everything. But yeah, I am curious how that's going to play out too. But also, I mean, I feel like it is conventional to have the whole cast come together at the end of the season and that mm-hmm. is, you know, often at some event that sometimes is a little bit manufactured, let's say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think we saw the same thing with Denise and everybody in Beverly Hills where they were trying to get Brandy there, et cetera, et cetera, to, you know, for there to be resolution to these storylines. And um, yeah. And Denise robbed them of that. And so that's, then you see them, oh, now we have to film more. Now we have to send her to Lisa's house, you know? And so they're trying to put a button on everything. And I get that um, from a storytelling point of view, but also, yeah, it's maybe a little devious. But if Karen just invited her after telling them she wasn't going to invite her, that is some fucking shady bullshit. Well, and that seems like it was exactly what happened is that Karen said, I'm not going to invite her. And then something changed. And then she pretended that she hadn't said it in the first place. And of course, the cameras are there and we all remember. But we're so appreciative for her service. My God. Karen's having like a renaissance season. I mean, my God. I mean, it has been a great season. And that said, I said, oh, it's losing steam. But then we just had what, like a 35 minute conversation about it. So... (laughs) You know, there it definitely raises lots of really interesting issues. And I think that what is great about Potomac is not just that there was a fight. Like, you know, yeah, fights are great. But I love that they, you know, then sat down with Monique and had this whole discussion about, like, you know, portrayals of black women on television and, mm-hmm. and you know, the role that they play in that and that they are you know, it's like you get the drama of the fight, but also some sort of analysis of what it all means to us. And I think that that's what makes Potomac like one of the greats is that, you know, it's obviously operating on multiple levels, whereas some of the other ones are unintentionally operating on various levels. 
I mean, there's no way to compare how the Atlanta housewives have behaved in real time during the Black Lives Matter movement, during COVID, everything else, while also filming a season that I hope is great versus what like the Orange County women were doing, where the responsibility, there's so much responsibility on the Atlanta women to represent this movement in our lives and essentially have to like defend their lives. Right. Yeah. And also hopefully produce a great show, which I fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. And then the orange County women are doing what exactly? I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen this season, but we're talking about like how much harm have they given (laughs) millions of people who are watching this show, which is very different from even just producing like the, I the black housewives on Bravo right now are adding actual benefit to society in yes. having these conversations and engaging in this. And some of these other franchises, it's like not only is your season probably not great, but you've actually right celebrated Undoing or, some of this work. Yeah, right. You're like amplifying very harmful ideas. Where it's not even like an uneven playing field. It's just so wild. The kind of like responsibility that some of these franchises um, are seen to have and how they kind of triumph over that versus other franchises that are not only probably not producing a great show for viewers, but are so deeply problematic. It's so it's like kind of wild to see. I'm curious how Dallas will make its way through. My guess is not well on any level, but yeah. I gave it, up on the last season of Dallas, maybe halfway through. And did you stop? Did you stop watching, or you stopped caring? Um, I stopped watching Dallas. <gasps> wow. And um, I just—I don't know. I couldn't. I, my heart just wasn't in it. And I mean, really, the only reason I watched was Leanne Locken, who was one of the all-time greats, and I know a racist and did some awful things. But without her, you know. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's tricky because the Dallas women seemingly use the idea of like being good people and being anti-racist and whatever else because they wanted to get somebody off the show. Yes. And so now that Leanne is no longer on the show, they have a bad show with a shitty cast of people who are probably not great with like some of the real time moral character. And so what are we going to have? Like if you're going to be a terrible person, ha- be a terrible person who's so terrible that I can't stop talking about how bad you are. Don't be what I think you're going to be, which is a franchise on mute where like the volume isn't yeah. even on. I don't even know what you're saying, but I'm also watching the screen and fully do not care. Yes. Like it's not going to be great. And you can totally tell when housewives do this thing. I can't think of an example right now, but like the, the Leanne stuff is a good one in that they latch onto something that they don't really care about. What like, Oh, right. this is a perfect example. When Lisa, when uh, Denise didn't go to that final party and Lisa was like, we were all really worried about you and your family mm-hmm. emergency. Oh, we were we were just hurt that you lied to us. We were so worried. And it's like, bitch, you were not worried. Like you are using this so that you can seem better than Denise. And and I I you're totally right about them and the Leanne stuff. Like they don't give a shit. They were just trying to get Leanne off the show and they were like, 
you are a racist and we're going to use that to try to get you off the show. And it's like, ugh, I hate that. It's, yeah. Um, speaking of all things Lisa Rinna, do you think Lisa Rinna is really going to, is someone going to meet her at her level as low as you can go? Do you think she's going to get some sort of comeuppance on this next upcoming season? Is it actually going to happen? Because I feel like that's what everyone is craving, or at least many of us, myself included. Um, I mean, I feel like it's coming, but I also think it would have to come from... This is the weird thing about Beverly Hills. I think that you have this like central clique of Kyle, Erica, Dorit, Lisa Rinna, and they all have each other's backs. And mm-hmm. so who's it going to be? Garcelle and this new girl? Like coming for Lisa? Maybe, but I don't know that they have the, like Garcelle doesn't seem, while she's great and will stand up for herself, she doesn't seem like the one who's going to bring it at Lisa the way Lisa brought it at Lisa Vanderpump. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I feel what you're saying um, and her, her comeuppance has to come eventually or else we're just going to get bored of it. Like same with Lisa Vanderpump. Um, but I don't know that it's going to be this cast. I mean, listen, she's not full time, but I think Kathy Hilton with a flick of her wrist could steamroll Kyle and Rinna at the same time and leave room for lunch. And you are not I wrong. don't know if you she, are not wrong. I don't know if she's going to want to do that. Honestly, it comes down to like how Ky- how Kathy's going to feel in that moment. Does she is she going to care more about this like little I mean Switzerland esque to pull from Salt Lake City little uh, quiet in the middle of the storm with Kyle and Kathy and Kim right now or is she going to decide to fuck with her because people will be able to see it on TV and I don't know what Rinna could do to piss off Kathy but I would love to see the response like I don't think Rinna would be in any way prepared for what Kathy Hilton could do on a Wednesday at two. You well, know what I'm saying? Like, I also think Kathy Hilton doesn't really need the show. So it's like a hundred percent. So like, yeah, if Lisa Rinna pisses Kathy Hilton off, she's not going to try to get along. She's going to be like, you're a fucking asshole. And I, I've known you for 20 years and here's all the shit I know about you. Um, so Yeah. And if Rinna's storyline has anything to do with the fact that her 19-year-old daughter, however old she is, is stooping Scott Disick, like, did we not enough? I can't. I don't. And Rinna pretending she's not on board. She's a thousand percent on board. Like, this is, I can't. I am already bored thinking about it. Like, my God. Can we go deep into some British reality television bullshit for a second? Always. Okay. So... The older daughter is dating this guy, E.L. Booker, who was on Love Island, like, two-ish years ago. And then, so, apparently, so Scott Disick DM'd this woman, her name's Megan Barton Hansen, and she was partnered with E.L. on the show, and then broke up with him, and went with this other guy, and, like, made it to the finals of Love Island, and was, like, one of the stars of that season, and she's since gone on to like British reality fame, you know? And so she's oh, like, okay, good for her. Yeah. And so she's on like celebs go dating and shit like that. And is now a lesbian, but whatever. So, <laughs> oh my 
So Scott Disick DM'd her and was like, hey, Megan, it's Scott Disick. Like, can we talk about something? And she's like, oh, my God, Scott Disick. Like, of course. And so he sends this whole thing like, I just met y'all Booker. And like, obviously through dating the sisters and, you know, oh, you did him dirty on the show and you owe him an apology and I want you to apologize to him and blah, 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 and all this shit. And so Megan like screenshotted it and then put it on her Instagram. Good for her, by the way. It was like, dude, this was like two years ago and it was on a fucking reality show and I'm a lesbian now. Like, who the fuck cares? And so it's been like a great little English reality show, you know, kerfuffle over the past few days. But um, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious that Scott Disick's like, oh, I met Eyal Booker and... Um, you owe him an apology. <laughs> so who wrote Scott's DM is the question. Did one of the Hamlin girls or who? Like, I mean, is he is he really that invested, Mr. Keeping Up with the Kardashians? I, I don't mean, think, is he watching Love Island? I, apparently he like met Eyal and then watched love him on Love Island and thought Megan like did him dirty. And yeah. I... Like, God bless the Hamlin daughters. I never saw this coming. I Me thought neither. when Rinna was trying to momager them to heights, I'm like, you guys, wonderful. You're trying to be Hadid Jr., but I don't know that it's going to happen for you. I don't know that this is your journey. And the fact that they are somehow daily mailing themselves yeah. to, like, Instagram heights but- as some sort of influencer of something is kind of amazing yeah they're always going to be like budget hadids though they are right they're 99 cents for hadids yeah which you know if you've got a buck and it isn't involving any tax like there you go this this will do but i don't know about anything other than that no i was shocked to learn i don't know how much you keep up with the kardashians as it were oh i i heavily keep up with the kardashians okay i love all of them bye I had no idea Larsa Pippen was in the Kardashian universe. And because I was looking up like housewives who has the most Instagram followers. And she's like one of the top 10 former Mm -hmm. housewives Instagram followers because of the Kardashian stuff. And I had no clue. Yeah. And they've iced her out of Kardashian Island. Like there is nobody left on their love island because... Either she was talking to the tabloids too much and they told her to stop and she wouldn't, or maybe that's true. And maybe she also possibly hooked up with Tristan is what word on the street. And they didn't react well to that because, you know, things happen. I mean, I think that's the room. I could be wrong. I think that those are the current rumors. I mean, those are all great rumors. And also get Larsa on fucking Beverly Hills. Yeah, she was so bad on Miami, though. She doesn't want to participate. She's That's so true. unlikable. She's she's great on Kardashians because they show her. She's in a bikini. She's smiling. She's nodding. She's like, we'll pray for you, Chloe. Like, that's it. Like, there's no, she's not, I don't think she's a personality type for real. Even when she was on Million Dollar Listing, I was like, oh, my God, you're so unlikable. Even when you're talking about your garage. My God, I just can't. That's like, true. She I have an was allergic reaction. unlikable. I, oh, my God. Her and Christy Rice. Remember them? Oh, they were awful. Christy Rice, I think she triggered me because she, like, didn't pay 
to go to was it Leah's benefit? Was it the like the Black's Ball? Yeah. And she said like she shouldn't have to because she was like bringing awareness or something. And as an event producer, I was like, I am done. Like I, you can't say. And then wasn't the check lost or something? What was it? Like the checks in the mail, but it never arrived. I can't, that season is horrifying, and I sort of highly recommend it. I gotta <laughs> tell you, I I can't. I, <laughs> I mean, don't know. I always liked Miami. I- I don't know what's wrong it with It might me. be back. Andy keeps saying that he's talking to Peacock. I mean, if they do some sort of Peacock exclusive, I guess there's room. I don't know if What's-Her-Face is still throwing glitter in the air, but um, maybe they could make it happen if the budget worked uh, to bring Miami back in some way. In I some shape talked to several former Miami housewives when I was doing research on my book, and <gasps> they said that, yeah, they had gotten calls like, we're thinking of bringing it back. Wait, which housewives can you say and getting calls from production saying we're bringing it back and we'd like you to audition or play a role or we're bringing you back and just want you to have a heads up? Um, I think it was we're bringing it back. Would you be interested on being on the show again? Okay, you don't have to answer this. And we're on audio, so you can just nod or just tell me after or not, you know, because writers, whatever. But what I would like. Mm-hmm. as you know just sarah g just housewives viewer would be for them to redo miami and bring back two housewives and maybe the others can make cameos because you know i love a little cameo in the background a la new york yeah because Zarin showing up now and again yeah and now she lives in florida but i would love to see leah black back all time great would love to see all time great lisa back I want Lisa Hochstein. Lisa Hochstein. I want that MAGA billion dollars. Doesn't really know what's going on in the world. Has the two kids now still with Lenny. Want to know if her mother-in-law is still involved with the hands. I just really want to see Lisa back. She kind of gets herself in trouble. I think she's actually, she can defend herself, I think, pretty well. Although I did love her talking about her immigrant story because she came from Canada. Like That is a, <laughs> that is a highlight moment. For, and Leah Black is Leah Black. Leah Black is meant to be back on TV. There is no one else like yes. her. She's just as she always was. Yeah. So do you, so what do you, how do, what do we, what, how do you, what can you say? What can you, what can um, you tell us? I, will tell you I did not talk to either of them. <gasps> but um Whoa. but from what I understand they were calling all of the women. Wow. To ask like about availability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not that that means all those women are going to be cast, but that they were gauging interest. And so can you tell us a little bit about your book? Because I'm like dying. My book is um, coming out in fall 2021. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just in time for Christmas. I know. Um, And I'm putting the finishing touches on it now. And it's sort of about um, the history of the Housewives franchise, um, some behind the scenes stuff, like how it all gets made. Um, but then also a lot about like the history of soap operas and reality television, how that fits into housewives. Mm. And I talk to yourself as well as other like podcasters and (laughs) people that run Facebook groups and that run Etsy Mm -hmm. merch shops and like the fan communities that have sprouted up around it. And, uh, I talk to academics that study the real housewives and like what it says oh, about, you know, race, culture and class and all that stuff. 
And so it's kind of like examining the Real Housewives phenomenon from like a 360 to five, 365 degree view. And my hope is that it will answer all the questions fans have about Real Housewives. Wow. And so what's the, has the network, um, sent you a mazel of any kind oh andrew exactly the opposite as a matter of fact (laughs) no i don't believe it oh yes so um apparently an email went out to all the housewives telling them not to talk to me so that was great um Uh, housewives present and past uh yes (gasps) ma'am so yeah and then Um, I put something out on Twitter and Instagram, like when I was near the end of, you know, writing everything, just like Mm -hmm. one last gasp effort to like see who would talk to me and just put something out and said, Hey, have you worked on housewives? Are you a housewife? Like, if you want to talk to me, like, let me know it's for my book and put it out there. And I got an email from Bravo's lawyer being like, (gasps) yeah oh, we don't appreciate that you're trying to get these people to break their NDAs and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whatever, fuck you. Um, what, how does the so, NDA work in that context, though, if it's former? An NDA isn't lifelong. It has an expiration date, right? It's usually a couple years. And it's even like know. a non-compete kind of thing. I'm not a lawyer. And it's it's not like I don't have any formal contract with Bravo. And so I'm just putting it out there like, hey, if you want to talk. And, you know... If people want to talk, they might have gotten in touch with me. And if they didn't want to talk, then they didn't. So, you know, Did I don't you know what the rules go are. On the record, yeah, there's somehow there's a handful of houses that went on the record. I talked to a bunch off the record, but I will tell you, I found that I got a lot more information and insight from the people who work on the shows, like mm-hmm. the producers, the camera operators, the editors, the story producers. Uh, the casting agents, like all those people. Um, Because the housewives that I talked to, you know, they could tell you what goes on and tell you how it works and stuff, but then they kind of want to fight their own little fights and talk about their, oh, no, I didn't really mean that, and they blah, blah, blah. And so you don't really get the sort of level of introspection that you might hope for. Um, Did you hear from Jill Zarin? To Jill Zarin, your beloved, the the star of so many of your recaps, did she get in touch? Did she slide into your DMs? I, I don't have to answer that. Um, I will tell you, I did not talk to Jill Zarin. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, but I well, think. and I found that um, I approached a, a lot of the women, and um, a lot of them, uh were fearful of the NDAs, obviously, and a lot sure. of them want back on the show eventually and don't want to do anything to run afoul of Bravo. So, yeah. Was there anything that you learned while researching this book that I will read every day for the rest of my life? Um, was there anything that you learned that changed the perception of how you watch The Housewives? I mean, you're someone who's so intuitive and so observant. But was there any way that you think to maybe burst the bubble? I will. And this really surprised me. I think that going away from it, I think it's a lot realer than we think it is at times. 
And, oh, great. Um, and I also think that, you know, a lot of times we're like, oh, Andy doesn't like so-and-so and they're doing this or they're giving her a bitch at it or the producers are doing X, Y, Z. And that I think a lot of the times it's the women doing that themselves because they know the stakes of like, I need to stay on the show and I want to stay relevant. And, um, and that's a, it. So yeah, I think that there's a lot less meddling and stuff than we thought there is, which um, I was, I thought I would find out exactly the opposite. Like here's all the ways that they manipulate it to, you know, get the women to do what they want. And really it's kind of them, you know, letting the women do what the women are going to do anyway. I mean, it's sort of just giving them the space to do the work that previous reality shows have depended on their productions to do. Right. Isn't it sort of like the the opposite of maybe the bachelor in that way where it's seemingly from what we've heard and, and read were so much of the end result manufacturer drama comes from producers manipulating talent. Yes, and I think that the the difference between The Housewives and uh, The Bachelor is you're on The Bachelor for a season and then you're gone. And so it's like by the time you're hip to it, they don't need you anymore. Whereas if they show Tamara in a negative light or in a way that isn't what really happened, then why is Tamara going to want to come back and play ball again? And then you've kind of like lost the show. So it's like they do need to develop relationships with these women over the course of decades, you know, like Vicky Gummelson was on that show for 15 years. And, and so they have to maintain their sort of like trust in these, you know, in the producers and the women. And, and so I think that that is, was really um, interesting to me. If there was one housewife who you could sit down with for a piece or not and just say, like, I need to pick your brain. I just want to talk to you about your experiences on Bravo or off or whatever. Who do you think that would be? Or is it someone that you've already had the opportunity to do that with? It is not someone I had the opportunity to do that with. And the answer is going to shock you. And it is Alex McCord. (gasps) Oh, because I think Alex McCord like was in it, got real into it, got fired. And then remember she was doing these weird like video recaps where she was like telling all the stories and blah, blah, blah. Yes. And then she went back to school, became a psychologist. The family moved to Australia and live in like the middle of nowhere. And now she's like completely washed her hair of all of it. And that's what I'm really interested in is like that whole life cycle of like getting into it, getting, being famous, having that taken away from you, how you react to it and how you then like move on from that in a constructive way where we see people like my love Jill Zarin or like a Brandy Glanville who are still stuck in that, like you took Mm -hmm. this thing away from me and I want it back. And um, so I'm really, that's why I picked, Alex McCord, because I'm really interested in that whole sort of life cycle of a housewife. And one of the reasons that she's so particularly fascinating is because Alex and Simon joined the show as people who were desperately climbing the ladder. I mean, the moment where they're at brunch, 
looking through the New York Times style section, which is like the Bible. That is where you want to see yourself in the pictures, you know, photographed by Bill Cunningham. Rest in peace. And there's a moment where it's like they only got the back of her dress or something. And he's trying to console her about, you know, it's still good to be it's still good to be photographed, still good to be noticed. And shopping and spending money that they don't have at Blue and Cream and buying a Versace dress that they can't afford so that they can have that moment on camera of looking like they were the folks that they wanted to be. And to go from that to fame on Housewives to being fired from Housewives to not wanting to go near Housewives truly. I mean, I wouldn't have seen that for Alex's journey. And I'm like, I definitely respect it. My God. Yeah, that's... totally. And so that's why I would really like to, and, and I want to know less about her time on the show and more about her time after the show. And like, you know, now that she's trained as a psychologist, like what psychological effects did being on the show and like being famous in a reality context, et cetera, like really have on you. Like that's the kind of stuff I've always been really interested in about housewives. Even when I watch it now, it's like, who is this person? And somebody said to me, and this was one of the most insightful things. And he um, was a producer on some of the Australian versions of the show. And he said that uh, when you find, figure out what a woman's motive to be on the show is, that's when you find what her storyline is. And, and that to me was like a really interesting way of looking at it where it's like, you know, the story is really coming from why they want to do this in the first place. Oh my God. That's, that's like almost devastating. That's <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. That's and it's like unbelievably deep. Yeah. It's like, do they want to get rich? Do they want to fall in love? Do they want to be famous? Do they, you know, what do they want? And, and then that's like the story that you follow. And I was like, holy, that like, you know, I thought I knew the housewives and he said that. And I was like, you just blew my mind. I mean, I hope that's at least six chapters because <laughs> I'm like already reading the book in my head. Holy shit. Yeah, that's definitely in there. And then I ended up not going too much into the international stuff too much just because mm-hmm. like I didn't want to open that whole can of worms. So it's also it at a certain point, it becomes deeply overwhelming. Like where yeah. is the focus going to be? Because there are so many and I would think the politics are different with every production company and everywhere else. And yes the environments are very different. The kinds of stories being told are potentially very different. It's, I mean, there was a a Jewish one where one of the women's grandmothers was a Holocaust survivor. (gasps) What? Yeah. And it wasn't Siggy. Was it somebody who I could maybe, you know, root for in some way? It it was an Israeli version and it's called something in Hebrew. (gasps) That means like rich women. Um, okay. Well, this is, devastating to me because I'm on a zoom every other week with Jews from America and Israel. And it started off during quarantine as like a birthright at home, like sure, shame, blah, blah, blah. And it went from like 10 of us to literally three of us. It's myself, um, an American Jew in DC and actually four of us, an American Jew in DC and two um, Jews in Israel. And I have talked a lot about housewives, possibly shockingly. And I have never heard that there was an Israeli version of housewives. And I am at our next convert at our next zoom. (laughs) There are going to be some words from yours. Truly. How dare they not tell me? Oh my God. I wonder if it's good. I bet it's great. Um, Most of them have, haven't done really well or like lasted that long. Oh, and then they did a French one 
It was called Le Vrai Housewives. And they couldn't get any French women to do the show. So they had to get French women in LA to do the show. So it's like the Real Housewives of France, but they all live in LA. And they're French women who live in LA and are Real Housewives. Did they shoot in L.A. or yeah. did they make them move? No, they shot it in L.A. Make that make sense. Yeah. And it lasted one season. I mean, obviously, because, yeah, who cares? But. I mean, I feel like I'm almost at capacity with viewing right now because there's, like, so much on HBO Max or whatever. But I need to make time for Shalom Housewives <laughs> and Au <laughs> season one. My God, that's fascinating. Brian Moylan, I could talk to you forever i am so obsessed with you i just think you're the best i mean thank you so much um what's my role in the institute i'm like the executive assistant at the gift shop or something i mean sure i mean you could you could be the um roaring 20s uh party theme party planner at the wow. Real Institute. Oh my God. Thank you. So a pleasure. I can't wait for the vaccine to come so we can have a little groundbreaking event at Housewives Institute. I cannot HQ. wait either. Um, so tell the folks how to follow you and read your beautiful poetic dream situation. I am currently recapping Real Housewives of Orange County and uh, Southern Charm on Vulture.com and those go up like as soon as the episodes are done. I'm also doing a fun thing at this new website called The Dip. It's the... Oh! um, And it's... We're calling it Retro Recaps and so I'm like recapping old shows that no one recaps. So like I did a recap of a Friends episode and like Gossip Girl and Sex and the City and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And so there, so that's really cool. So go check that out. Um, And um, yeah, and then I'm on all social media platforms at Brian J. Moylan. Oh my God, that's amazing. I have some thoughts. I have some questions for you that we're going to get to once we stop recording. Guys, um, first off, I hope everyone had a happy-ish and healthy sort of Thanksgiving with your families on Zoom or wherever you are. Um, I'm so appreciative for everyone that listens to Andy's Girls and supports the pod and Um, so I hope that you guys each found time hopefully yesterday and in the days to come during this very wild and kind of crazy holiday season to just take a little time to breathe. And, um, I'm so thankful for all of you. Uh, um, speaking of all things, AG, uh, an hour long bonus episode on Patreon went up on Thanksgiving with myself and Bravo over brunch, which was a breakdown of all things Southern. We talked a lot about Southern charm and um, Salt Lake City. And I'm doing a bonus satchels episode, which will be up this weekend because I got a crazy satchel um, that we didn't get a chance to discuss about Monique and Ashley. And I it's very good. So um, shout out to that satchel poster. I'm going to discuss that and some blind items about LVP and some other stuff. So that can be found at patreon.com slash Andy Scrolls. Follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley and Dame Brian Moylan, the king. Die for you. Love you so much. Happy holidays to you in London town. You and Caroline Stanbury. Yeah, I uh, can't wait to talk to you in the new year. Oh my God, I can't wait to talk to you. 
2022. Oh, 2021. Um, what a high bar it has to exceed 2020. But fingers crossed it'll be a good one for all of us. Guys, have, stay happy and healthy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.